Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Good morning. We're here this morning with Glenn Allen. Uh, Glenn's background is he was a physics student, but then went on to get a master's degree in systems engineering. And he's basically, for the remainder of his career, once he got the master's degree, has been managing high-tech, high-priority projects that are both mission-critical and high-risk. And Glenn, I am delighted to have you here on the podcast this morning. Thanks, Roy. I'm glad to be here, too. Absolutely. Wonderful to have you here. So we're going to talk today about Rocky Flats. I didn't know a lot about Rocky Flats until you and I started talking about it. So we're going to talk about Rocky Flats and the impact that's going to have on organizations. So tell me a little bit about that. Uh, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about what Rocky Flats is and, and how did it, why is it important? Okay, well, Rocky Flats uh, was part of the weapons complex that was set up after World War II to maintain and reprocess uh, a key component of a thermonuclear device and that component was made out of uh, uranium or plutonium, and it was a plant that was situated uh, northwest of Denver and uh, was scheduled to be decommissioned. And there was uh, um, uh, weapons-grade plutonium laying around in buildings. It was the second worst toxic waste site on the planet outside of uh, Chernobyl in Russia, and I was a member of uh, a very large team of project managers and program managers tasked to get the thing done on time, on budget, don't kill anybody, don't violate any laws, and we had a process that we used that was unique within the weapons complex that uh, assured its success, and it started with its leader, Bob Card. And, okay, uh, that, very good. That, that, experience, that experience changed my life. Excellent. So what, uh, so what they are you were tasked with cleaning up the uh, the waste site and making sure that you did it in a safe way and all of uh, the processes. So what were and there's some sites that you know are still being worked on to get cleaned up and, and haven't been cleaned up. And this site was cleaned up on time and under budget. And what were the keys to the success of cleaning up this toxic waste site and being successful? Well, the key started with a an immutable vision set up by Bob Card, and Bob Card is Andrew Card's brother, and Andrew was uh, George W.'s chief of staff, uh, okay. so he's a very well-known guy. Um, and that vision was articulated as outcomes rather than outputs. So we only spoke to each other. There was about 50 of us as program managers. We only talked to each other, and we only talked to Bob and the subsequent CEO, uh, Alan Parker, in outcomes, never about effort, never about tangible uh, things we're going to deliver, but what would be the result of our effort in support of this mission. And that's where it started at the very top, at the CEO of a $10 billion project. He had no confusion about what done looked like. And, and at the end, done is basically all the waste is off the site. Uh, no one was injured or killed. We stayed more or less on, on budget. You can always get more money, but you must stay on schedule. He promised Congress a three-week window to close the site five years ahead. You will be there, and you will do your job. Okay. Excellent. And so 
Um, and so they always talked in terms of results, always talked in terms of what done meant. You had a great story when you were time in, your, in Vietnam. Do you mind telling a little bit about that story? Because I just thought that's a great example of what does done look like. Yes, um, I, I was unfortunately assigned to be the maintenance officer. I was a, I was a technical person of, of a, of a uh, helicopter company in 1969. And when the maintenance officer went on R&R to uh, Australia, have a little weekend jaunt, and the executive officer came over to our shop and asked when this aircraft uh, was some number, you know, when is 608 going to fly? And uh, I started explaining to him that this is what we're doing. We're working on the, the engine crews are working on the engines. The airframe guys are patching up the helicopter. The avionics guys are doing their job. And he held up his hand and said, stop, son. That wasn't my question. My question is, when will this helicopter fly? You are confusing effort with results. And turned mm-hmm. around and walked away. And he was a grizzled battle-hardened Korean War veteran with no sense of humor, and I was a young 25-year-old warrant officer, and it changed my life standing on that tarmac in Vietnam. Mm. And so subsequently, how have you acted differently now that he kind of gave you an example of what does done look like? Because he wanted to know when the, when the plane would fly so he could send her on a mission. So how did that change your communication, things like that, throughout your life? Well, I, I remember that, that, um, that experience much later. I kind of probably blocked that experience then. But when I got to Rocky Flats, uh, Bob Card's brilliance was asking himself on the proposal, I need uh, a couple of dozen direct reports for this $10 billion program that know how to get something done every single day of the week for the seven years it's going to take to do this? And the answer to his self-asked question was, who are those people? And the answer is, they're Navy ships captains. And that's how I came to Rocky Flats, was through my neighbor down the street, who was the skipper of the USS Virginia, that fired the first tomahawk at uh, Saddam from the Med uh, in his nuclear-powered missile frigate. And that flashback to Vietnam came to me instantly when I met those people because they know how to manage that ship on a 24-hour basis without fail to accomplish the mission. Otherwise, they wouldn't be the captain of a $8 billion missile frigate. And that has now been transferred down to everything we do in project management. What does done look like on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, and on a daily basis? Write that down in units of measure meaningful to our decision makers and go execute that plan. And then the other critical success factor there is what's plan B and what's plan C because plan A never turns out to be true. I need risk management in depth and I need a plan to execute. No one is ever confused about done and no one is ever ignoring the risks to our path to done. And that's how Captain Voorhees managed the ship, because something always goes wrong, but they never fail in their mission. Mm. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And so you talked a lot about what this done look like. So give folks a a sense of you're having a communication with someone. 
and how did you stay results focused rather than just you know uh, task focused? Okay, so in our in our this and this came about in the in the acquisition world maybe ten years ago. They switched, and, and we use this on our commercial projects and on everything else. Is instead of talking about requirements about what the system needs to do or what what are the technical requirements or what are the you know non technical requirements. We only start with talking about capabilities. So what capability does the leader need to possess to accomplish his or her mission? So if you're in the, in the banking business or you're in the credit union business, uh, what capabilities does the system have to provide to the credit union? So we have a, um, a credit union here that's based at the university, and we'll make up a little story. They need the capability to identify and capture new members with uh, a minimum amount of effort using the tools that they have. They have not defined the solution yet until you define what capability you need to have. So at Rocky Flats, the capability was remove all of the weapons-grade material and ship it to Georgia, remove all the toxic waste and put them into waste dumps around the United States, make sure no one is injured or killed, and stay on schedule. I need that capability. How do we do it? Don't have a clue. We'll figure that out as we go. But that capability was always in poster form, in public form, was always in front of us every single day. Love it. It's it's almost like the uh, the story of the Apollo mission, and they asked uh, one of the uh, 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 maintenance crew folks, you know, what are you working on? And uh, he didn't say a system or things like that. He said, I'm working on getting a man to the moon. Yes. And the key there, and if you watch the first man movie, uh, the, the key is getting back alive. That was the other mm-hmm. capability that they need to have. So, uh, right. you know, that was, that was the definition of done, done. They landed in the ocean and lived to tell about it. Right. And that was obviously John Kennedy's vision. Send a man re- uh, to the moon and return him safely to Earth. Yes, and so and Kennedy had, he literally would have been the leader at Rocky Flats. He could articulate in six words what the mission was because he was a, he was a naval officer. He, he knew what, he knew how to define those capabilities. Mm. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. And such a powerful concept to, to always talk about the results because so often we get caught up, as you well know, in organizations talking about what am I working on right now? What's the task I'm trying to accomplish right now? And ultimately the vision is what are we trying to do? Get a man to the moon and return him safely to Earth. And so uh, so how, how has the success of Rocky Flats impacted the Denver area but also had an impact on organizations that you've worked with later? Uh, how do they use those leadership styles to make the other organizations successful? Okay, and I want to add one thing to the Kennedy quote. He also said, mm-hmm. within this decade. That's so right. had a time frame. So that was mm-hmm. it. So everybody, so everybody went and got to work. He, he, right. he promised we would do that within this decade. Everybody get to work. Well, Rocky Flats was, um, uh, was sited northwest of Denver in the best uh, U.S. Senate uh, corrupt way. Senator Church actually owned a ranch northwest of Denver, and the original siting of Rocky Flats was southeast of Denver, downwind from Denver, 
and he convinced the then Atomic Energy Commission to put it on his land northwest of Denver. So now you have a, nu a nuclear weapons plant with all of its inherent problems upwind from a major metropolitan area. Um, and eventually the, the Department of Energy uh, and, the, and the metro area of Denver figured out that this was probably not a good idea if something goes wrong, uh, so let's make this plant go away. And it became a very controversial political football when the original quotes were in the double, high double-digit billions of dollars to fix it, and no one had the money to do it, and no one made any progress. And they recompeted the closure project, and CH2M Hill and Kaiser, ICF Kaiser made a joint venture into Kaiser Hill, Bob Card was the uh, then CEO of that program, and he hired all these Navy captains and some admirals and put together a proposal and promised Congress that if he was given complete control and the Department of Energy would get off the site and stop helping us, um, that he would close the site in seven years for $9 billion plus a billion-dollar contingency. And it was involved every single uh, government agency in the metro area from local, city, county, and state government was on his team, including the feds, all the environmental and safety and the nuclear guys. So he was essentially the admiral and behaved as an admiral, although he was not a military person. Uh, he ran it like it was a military operation, and in those operations, uh, the, the general public believes it's command and control with a commander at the top barking orders to the most junior people. And having been, having had a short military career, that is not how the military works. Um, and so he ran it as if it was a military operation where the lowest people in the organization were the most important people to get the job done. And leadership did exactly that. They led with the junior people at their side to get the job done as planned. Um, okay. So the Denver metro area was very happy about that, and it's now prairie dogs and dirt with a fence around it, and no one died. Mm. That is, that's, that's absolutely terrific. And I love the fact that they focused on the results and getting the job done I think that's probably one of the most powerful concepts of this for organizations is to make sure they get the job done and always focusing on that when we have this task done. But didn't they have to talk about, you know, incremental projects along the way or steps along the way to, to get to done done? So how do they, yeah. how do they communicate that? Well, it, it comes out with a, with a um, I guess to not get too technical, there's a tool in the government uh, world is called an integrated master plan. So many projects get in trouble when they start making schedules before they have a plan. Um, mm. If we took a little example of we're going to go on a European vacation with our kids, uh, our young mm -hmm. adult children, um, we don't schedule where we're going to be on what day in France and in Germany and in Italy. First, we ask ourselves, where do we want to go? And our son would okay. say, well, I want to go back to Milan and see the first supper again. And our, our daughter would say, well, I want to go back to where I backpacked through Germany, um, you know, when I was in high school. 
okay, so now we have a plan, and we want to go visit our friends in England. That's a plan. And we want to go back where I was stationed in Germany in the 70s. Okay, now we'll make the schedule for doing that. And now we'll do the things. So, because without that plan, you do not know what done looks like. And you don't know how much it's going to cost to get to done. And so many projects fail because they don't have this plan. And the elements of the plan are measured in the, either the maturity of the deliverable or if you're on a vacation, did you accomplish what you wanted to see? Yeah, I want to see the Last Supper in that cafeteria, in that monastery in Milan. Good. Put a check in that box. How do we do that? Well, we don't know yet. We don't have a schedule. We don't have a budget. We don't have the details. But we know what done looks like. We saw the Last Supper, and we're happy. Mm. And then we saw the David, and then we saw the place where, where our daughter backpacked. So that most projects fail because they don't know what done looks like in a unit of measure that's meaningful to the person that's either paying or making the decisions. They're just doing the effort and spending money. And sometimes mm. they're disappointed in the end. Right. And it's almost the biblical quote: uh, "People without a uh, people without a vision perish." Yes, and there's another visible quote about building a tower. I can't bring it to the mind right now, but that you would never start this construction essentially without a plan. Only a fool would do that. So they knew this two thousand years ago how to do this, and somehow, we've lost, right? We've and somehow it. we've let it go and uh, and not yes. done that. So, yes, yeah. That's a that's a very very important key, excellent. So, what's you know for folks out there listening, what's one thing that you want them to walk away with from a, a respect of leadership in helping people achieve their goals? What's one thing that you'd say this is absolutely critical uh, moving forward to make sure that your organizations and your processes are successful? Well, I had another life-changing experience, which was to be in the presence of, uh, of some leaders out of Harvard for the balance scorecard. And the balance scorecard is, is used a lot in the financial business and business business, but it is also directly applicable to large projects. And the balance scorecard starts with writing down what is your vision for this project, and what mission is it going to accomplish when it's done? And for Rocky Flats, the vision was technical. You know, you have to clean all this stuff up according to all these rules and, you know, obey all the federal acquisition regulations and all that stuff. The, the, the mission was to remove this threat to the Denver metro area in the time you said you were going to do it for the budget you said you were going to do it. So every action that is planned on the project has to answer the question, how does this work support the mission and the vision? And without that, you're going to start doing work that's actually a waste because it doesn't support the mission or the vision. And I would use that when people would come into my office and say, I've got this great idea. We need to do this. And I would point to the balance scorecard on the wall. Please point to me where your idea is going to support the mission or the vision. And if they didn't have an answer, I would ask them very politely to leave my office and come back with one because we're not doing a thing that doesn't support that mission or vision. That is missing from many projects that I work. Okay. 
And that's a great coaching moment because coaching is exactly that, asking questions that have a profound and powerful impact on their career and the organization. And really what you were saying is, um, you know, where does it where does it support that? How do we make coaching support that ultimate goal? And then challenging them on that. I love that. Where does it fit into the balance scorecard and how does it support the mission? And if you can articulate that, then, in fact, it may, in fact, be a great idea. And then you can talk about the details of that, getting us to that mission. Right. And I would never tell them that that's not a good idea or, you right. know, you don't know, what, you don't know what you're doing or let me tell you what to do. I would ask the question, can you, can you tell me where you think this supports the mission? And, and they would then discover by standing there in front of that scorecard, which is a giant, you know, 10 by 5 picture on the wall, they would sure. discover themselves that they couldn't answer that question. I would never tell them, you're wrong. They would go, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Good. How can I help you come up with the answer? Uh, go All back right. and think about it, and let's book a meeting here or maybe on Wednesday, and let's talk about it. And they then become the vehicle for success. So the leader mm-hmm. creates the opportunity for the followers to be successful. The leader does not actually lead in the work. He leads in the vision. Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that because that is such a great coaching moment. Where does it fit into the vision? Where does it fit into the mission? How does it hit the scorecard? Then if it does that, then we say, okay, let's work on that. If, in fact, you you felt to the point that they had it had enough value to be added to it. Right, and the key is then they they then have ownership of that vision mm-hmm. because it's actually their definition. And I had another experience, and this this happened maybe three or four times a year after Card left, and Alan Parker was then the the CEO for about six years. Um, he would always lecture us program managers with his in his kind of uh, derogatory tone of. I want you guys to understand you do not work here. And he would put quotes around the work. You do not work here. Those 5,000 steel workers who have moon suits on and in are in danger every day, they work here. You sit in your office and type on your computer. Your only job is to make them successful. Everybody out. <laughs> go, back to, go back to your office. Because right. sometimes the leaders think sitting in their ivory tower or sitting in the corner office that they're the ones doing the work, and that's not true. They they might uh-huh. lead, but they're not the delivery elements. They're 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 not shoveling dirt. They're not writing code. They're not painting walls. They're not driving trucks. They're enabling the success of those who do. That's their job: is to remove impediments to success. That's the role of the leader. I agree completely, Glenn. That is absolutely fantastic. And so I just wanted to say thank you today to adding the story. I found the Rocky Flats example fascinating. Also, what I really enjoyed was the book that you referenced, uh, Making the Impossible Possible, and how they use that leadership style in order to make Rocky Flats successful, to clean up the waste site in the time required, under budget, on time, and nobody died, uh, the ultimate vision and the ultimate goal of that, and just repeating that over and over again. So I just love the fact that you shared that and, and the impact it can make on folks to how they lead going forward. So I just want to say thank you uh, for being on the podcast today. 
Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And our little meeting on the plane was pure serendipity. So that, that it, always it moves life was. forward. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com.